Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, some of you who have been going to a church like this or our church for a long enough period of time may have picked up on that we actually operate on what is called a church calendar year. For example, our church calendar begins in Advent, the four Sundays before Christmas. And some people know what Advent's about. Some people kind of know. Some people aren't quite sure. But then we come to Christmas, and everybody knows what Christmas is about. And then we come to Epiphany, and everybody's kind of like, well, not really sure what the season of Epiphany's about. <laughs> and then we come to Ash Wednesday and Lent. Oh, yeah, I got that one. I understand Lent. And then we have Easter. Why do we do that? Why do we go through the church calendar year after year, and cover these topics. Well, I think it's because so that you get the breadth and the depth of what Scripture has to offer in the context of how God's revelation unfolds and the different lessons we learn and the different emphasis as we go throughout the year. And, and sometimes the topics that we talk about, the sermon topics in particular, are fairly easy, and everybody understands where you're going with it. Like with Christmas and Easter, everybody's kind of on board with that, especially since everybody goes to church those Sundays. So they always get that. And then you have other days or seasons where you, you cover t- such topics as the Ten Commandments, or God is love, or God is holy, and everybody pretty much gets that. But sometimes you encounter in the church calendar these Bigger subjects. Bigger subjects that require maybe a little more thought. Maybe a little more diving into. I think the reason that those who compiled the lectionary did it is so clergy couldn't get away with just talking about the easy stuff. But I really think it's so that we cover comprehensively all that God has to offer so that we understand him more and more come to know Him more and more, able to live the life that He calls us to more effectively. Last week, Nathan talked about Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it was really, really helpful to come to that understanding, who is this person, the Holy Spirit? Not an it, but a person. And what does that mean for our lives? And today, now that we have, if you will, in the church calendar year, all the persons of the Trinity introduced, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we now come to the Trinity. That's what today is called, if you haven't caught it already, through the music, through the collect, we are in Trinity Sunday. And Trinity Sunday is a huge topic. You're talking about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I should be able to cover this in about two hours. So just relax. (laughs) 
You know, some people would say, it's complicated. It's complicated. People love to use that line, right? Haven't you seen it in movies, in the media, television shows? Well, it's complicated. You know, when people say, well, it's complicated, what are they usually saying? What they're usually saying is, I don't want to go into it. Or I don't want to deal with it. Or I don't want to talk about the ramifications or the consequences. I don't want to talk about it. It's complicated. Too much detail to go over. I am convinced... Please catch this. I'm convinced that the Trinity is really simple. But it's a mystery. Because really you will never fully comprehend the Trinity, at least in this life. Because we are talking about an infinite God. And we have finite minds. Do you really expect, I have people say to me, in fact, I had someone say to me this past week, you know, I understand this whole idea of God, but the Trinity, I don't get that. I don't really get how God is like three different people. I can understand God and I can understand Jesus being the Son, but not God. See, people want to make it more complicated, and I think, really, you just accept it for what the Scripture says. You trust it. You trust the Word of God and you trust the Lord Himself. That He reveals Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm not saying don't wrestle with it. I'm not saying don't try to grow in the knowledge and love of Him and wrestle with this whole idea and notion of the Trinity. What I'm saying, just accept it. There's so much in life that we don't have a full comprehension of, we don't fully understand, and yet we accept and we trust, and we use your computer. I don't understand how it works. In fact, I don't even want to. But I use it, and I trust it, right? Your cell phone, and some of yours are more complicated than mine, okay? I don't know how it works. I know how to make calls and to text, and I have an address book in it. That's all I need it for. I know how that works. There's aspects of our lives that are complicated, that have a lot of dimensions to it. But there's aspects of our lives that even when we consider how they don't make sense to us, we don't fully understand or comprehend, we still use, we still find them to be a blessing. And we seek, in some cases, to come to know more and more. The fact of the Trinity is simple. What it is, is a mystery. And a mystery is not a bad thing. God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not a bad thing. It's a mystery. Jesus being fully God and fully human is a mystery. Exactly what heaven and hell is like and quote-unquote where they are is a mystery. 
but we trust. And we seek to come to know more and more. That's the goal. You don't just say, ah, you know, it doesn't matter, or I really don't believe it. But if you really say that you are seeking to grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord, then you want to seek to know Him for who He is. Not what you want Him to be, who He is. Consider marriage. Early in my life of being married, I would have said, I don't understand. I don't get it. Did I say forget it? We've been married over 35 years. I haven't said forget it. Meredith hasn't said forget it to me. That's the even bigger miracle. (laughs) The reality is that you seek to grow in the knowledge and love of. Where the two become one. See, and that's why I think God in His essence, God in His person, is trying to model certain aspects by His very person and character as to what it means to know and to love Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about three truths that have to do with that. The first is, and Nathan actually touched on this last week when he was talking about the Holy Spirit, is this whole notion of relationship and community. God, by His very essence, is relationship and community. That there is such love, there is such intimacy, there is such connectedness that you can't divide the Trinity. Three persons in one God. A mystery, yes, but even in His essence, in His character, in His person, He models for us what relationships that are about love are really about. I don't know how many of you read Dilbert or read Dilbert last Sunday. Let me read Dilbert from last Sunday to you. Try to hang with me. First of all, there's a woman with Dilbert talking. And the woman speaks first. So tell me a little about yourself and be totally honest. Dilbert responds, totally honest? Okay. I like technology more than I like people. I don't believe in free will, soulmates, or following my passion. I think life is a brief, meaningless event in a random universe that doesn't care. I only associate with other people because I have biological and economical needs. I think all human actions are driven by selfishness. Nice picture, huh? The woman responds, "Um, okay, do you have any questions for me? (laughs) Dilbert responds, Am I still being totally honest or should I act curious? (laughs) (laughs) Point being, God is about relationship. And if God doesn't exist, then Dilbert has a good picture of this universe. It's impersonal. It's inorganic. We're made up of Material things were a mass of chemical reactions. Love is really a chemical reaction, not driven by God and His person, who He is. 
And why not live a selfish life? Because ultimately there's no meaning or purpose. And there is no eternity. See, read between the lines and you'll see that's what Dilbert's talking about. And also, that's where people are today, at least some. And a lot of people are living that way anyway. Because subconsciously, what's being taught in schools and is pervasive in our culture is this whole idea that the world really did happen from the Big Bang. That God is not a God of miracle and God doesn't intervene in His creation. And even though there's no scientific fact or proof to this, that all life came essentially from inorganic matter. And really it amounts to a faith system. And if that's the case, subconsciously or overtly, then people are going to live for what they want and what they can get out of life. And you become someone that I can use for my personal needs and my economic needs. Because that's all it's about. And I can live a selfish life because there's no consequences. But if God is and God created all that is, then that means He's also knowable. And if He's knowable, then we seek to know Him, because He's revealed Himself. And we as Christians believe that He's revealed Himself in creation, in the person of Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And what He's about is relationship. Relationship with Himself and relationship with each other. And learning what that means to love, to care, to sacrifice, to walk with Him every day. See, if we really understand that there's a purpose, there's meaning, and that God is who He, he says He is, and He wants us to know Him. That He's so united that we can't distinguish three and one. He's so united in character that there's a wholeness, there's a holiness to Him. There's total integrity. And so, not only does He want us to know Him, but eventually, and as time goes on, as we grow, He wants us to know His fullness. Why? How do we know that? Because He revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 says, In Him, Jesus has dwelt the fullness of the deity. God's not trying to hide. God's not trying to play hide and seek with us. He's not trying to fool us. He's not trying to deceive us. You know, when we are introduced to someone, or we're coming to know someone, you know, usually one of the first things we don't say is, I'm a real jerk, you probably don't want to know me anyway. What we try to do is we try to put on a good form. We try to put our best side forward. We probably won't reveal everything about who we are. And what we think and what we've done.
In other words, we're afraid to be transparent. Because we want people to accept us. We want people to like us. Now this is going to sound really funny. God doesn't care whether you like him or not. God wants you to know his love and to love him in return. There's a difference. God doesn't have to hide because he has nothing to hide. He's pure. He's holy. And he wants to reveal himself to us as much as he has revealed himself within the Trinity. Where there's pure love. Where there's total transparency. Where there's total holiness. Which is how we are to be with each other. That we learn what that means more and more. That we don't have hidden agendas with each other. We're not trying to fool each other. We're not trying to play games with each other. And the more that we grow relationally, the more we will learn to, if we're committed to it, is to be like Christ. Learn to love. Learn to sacrifice. Learn to give. Learn to serve. As we seek to grow in those relationships. The fullness of God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am truth. And I am the life. See, when we really understand that Jesus came to reveal God, walking in the flesh, the fullness of God, He shows us the way. He is truth. In a world where we question truth, skeptical, cynical, suspend, seeking, because it's easier. And he is life. The life that God intended. And he is God's authority. When you get to the end of the gospel of Matthew. All authority. All authority has been given to me. You know, there are people out there that want to be your authority. Have you ever caught that? But really, true authority comes out of the person. The integrity of the person, the understanding of the person, and if you really want to trust them, the love of the person. But we sometimes confuse authority and power. Jesus also said in John 19, any power you have, talking to Pilate, any power you have has come from God. Who has the power? God has the power. So when you really begin to think about it, not only does God have all the authority, He has all the power. Does He choose to operate with His power all the time? Think about that. Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, he had power to perform miracles, to heal people, to cast out demons. He had power to multiply loaves and fish. He had the power to forgive. And then he says to the apostles, and therefore to us, greater things than these will you do. In other words, 
He's saying, you go with my authority. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore in my name, as if my authority, my ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. We go with his authority because we go with his word. We go with the gospel. We go with him in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Power, we need to be selective, just as Jesus was. When he was on the cross, he had the power, if he wanted to, to call down legions of angels. He didn't. God has the power to coerce you if he wants to. He doesn't do that. He gives you free will to choose. And he's given us the power through Jesus Christ to forgive others. What a powerful gift that is. To experience his forgiveness and then pass it on. All authority is his. All power is his. And he wants to pass it on to us so that we can share that with other people. You know what the word for power is in Greek? It has the same root as dynamite. Did you know that? Dunamis. Dynamite. Now you can do a lot of good things with dynamite. Even fun things. But you can do a lot of bad with it, too. And that's why we have to be so careful exercising power. That when we exercise power, it's in God's way. It's by His Spirit. That when we presume to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ, that we know we have His authority because we speak from the Word of God. God has all the power and authority. The fullness of God lived in Jesus Christ, so he shows us how to live with that. And God wants us to learn what it means to love more and more effectively so that we never abuse that. You know, several weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, we were in Pittsburgh, Meredith and I, for four days, and then we went on to Falls Church for a couple of days to visit all my siblings. First, first Mother's Day without Mom, we decided that we would use that as a launching point to get together. So I saw my two sisters and our daughter and her husband in Pittsburgh, and then we went on to Falls Church. And it's really interesting what happens to me so often when I travel. I ended up running into and spending time with two agnostics and an atheist. Which, by the way, I love. And it was fascinating. I won't tell you about the two agnostics at this point. But I will tell you about the atheist and how that encounter took place. Meredith and I and our daughter Bethany and her husband Charlie went out to lunch. And while we were out to lunch, there was a single woman sitting next to us. And you couldn't help but notice her because she was talking on the phone a lot and didn't have that quiet phone voice, you know, that you have. And so you did notice her. 
And um, she seemed very friendly, very fun. And uh, she ended up going to the restroom and then coming back. And, well, a few minutes later, Meredith went to the restroom. And when she came back, she had a wallet in her hand. Meredith did. And she said, I found a wallet in the ladies' room. And I said, did you take the money out? No. (laughs) I actually did say that. (laughs) But she said, and it's that woman next to us, because I looked inside and the license, you know, had her picture. So Meredith said, I found this in the ladies' room, and that woman just absolutely gushed. She said, oh, my gosh, that's my life. It's my work. I probably would have gotten fired because it's got my credit card. She's going on and on, and she's just gushing. She said, I knew you were good people because I heard you talking about religion. (laughs) Is that an entree or what? (laughs) So anyway, um, we decided to engage her and ask her, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. And she tells us that she's from Philadelphia, the other side of the state, and she grew up Mennonite. And she went to Mennonite High School, Mennonite College. And she still saw herself as a Mennonite, but she doesn't believe in God or an afterlife. Now, I need to put a parenthesis in here. If you don't know what Mennonites are, let me give you a one-minute brief. Mennonites are called Mennonites because they base their beliefs on the teachings of Menno Simons. Menno Simons was a devoutly committed Christian who believed Jesus Christ was the only way to salvation, believer's baptism, the scripture is the final word in authority. And he especially focused on the Sermon on the Mount. And they would be almost cousins to the Amish in that they're Pennsylvania Dutch. And unlike the Amish, they actually dressed in modern garb and used modern equipment you know, and so there's a little distinction between the two. But that's a quick sketch of Mennonites, and they're pacifists too. So anyway, I know this stuff. So I said to her, I said, wait a second, you're a Mennonite and you don't believe in God. I said, so what do you really believe about life and its purpose? And she said, I don't need to know any purpose for life. I don't need to have a purpose for life. I said, well, how do you think everything that we have has come into existence? And she said, I don't care. doesn't matter to me. So I said to her, you've heard part of it already. Well, if we're only inorganic matter with a bunch of chemical reactions. Then what are you living for? And she says, well, I'm all about relationships. (laughs) So where do you think I went with that? I went to the beginning of the sermon. And I started talking to her about a God who created the universe who is about relationships That's how we understand love. That's how we understand relationships. All I could do was plant seeds, and I realized that. We were in a restaurant, public setting. You know, I wasn't going to have a whole lot of time left because we were finished with our lunch, and I could tell not everybody was excited about staying for a couple hours. (laughs) 
So all I did was plant seeds. The reason I say that is twofold. The first is to recognize what's out there. That we, in fact, do have a number of agnostics and atheists in our culture, and it's not growing smaller. It's growing larger. Even though God's creation, as Romans 1 talks about, is evidence to all that he exists. Even though his nature is knowable, people are choosing to not believe in him and not seek to come to know him. Second, even Christians are like this woman, Monica, in that they say it's too complicated. Or I just want to live by my own beliefs and desires. I don't want my life to be complicated by trying to know God or live according to his will. The Christians, many Christians, for all intents and purposes, live that way. But if God is who he says he is, if God is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we come to an understanding that he created us in his image. The Father, because he loves. The Son who gave his life for your sin, in your place, so that you would understand the depth of his love. So that in him you would see the way, the truth, and the life. And that you would understand the power of the Holy Spirit who wants to live in you and transform you and give you the power to live according to the Word of God. To grow more and more Christ-like. To grow in relationship and understand relationship more and more. That's his design and desire and it comes right out of his character Right out of his person. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's his desire for you. Please bow with me in prayer. Let me read to you from the end of Paul's letter, second letter to the Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a gift. The gift of salvation and eternal life that comes from him. The love of God. Truly understanding who God is and why he created us. For him and for relationship. And the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, that we are meant to be about relationship, coming to know him, grow in the knowledge and love of him more and more, and learn what it means to live his life in this world more and more. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And Lord God, as we come to this moment and we think about who you are, as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how you long for us to know you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the desire, the will, your spirit, to seek you 
and seek your way in all ways. That you would cause us to learn more and more what it means to be your body here. That we would seek you together. That we would learn to be community and love one another. And be effective in our witness. Lord, we're about to embark on some wonderful gifts this day in talking about Stephen ministry and the work that you've called us to here at St. Luke's. We pray that you would give us the will, the way, the power to live as your servants, your community, until we see you face to face. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.